You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. The prestigious Milton Academy in Massachusetts, the exclusive prep school which counts among its many famous and powerful alums, T.S. Eliot and Senator Ted Kennedy, was rocked by a sex scandal that became front page news. How can learning about what happened at Milton help us with our own teenage patients or even our own children? Welcome to ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host. And with me today is Marissa Miley, co-author of Restless Virgins, Love, Sex, and Survival in a New England Prep School. Marissa is an alum of Milton Academy, where the book takes place. She's worked on Harvard University's Initiative on Global Health and at The Atlantic before writing this book. Welcome to ReachMD, Marissa. Thank you, Dr. Lund. It's great to be on your show. Well, for our listeners who may not be familiar with the scandal at Milton, fill us in on what happened. Well, it was the winter of 2005, and the biggest story to hit Boston was a sex scandal involving five members, students at Milton of the varsity hockey team who were boys and a 15-year-old female student. And she had performed oral sex on all five boys in the locker room on campus. And my co-author and I had both gone to Milton, and we were at the Atlantic when the story broke one late February morning and in the coming weeks as new details emerged. And we were completely stunned and shocked because nothing like this had gone on while we were at Milton. So how did you decide to write the book? Well, we were very curious what was so different about Milton today than it was in the late 90s when we graduated. And had high school really changed? What were social and sexual pressures like? So we decided to go back to school and investigate, and we began interviewing recent graduates from Milton, because by the time we started the book, it was in the spring-summer of 2005, and we decided we wanted to chronicle 2004-2005 year, and to better understand what high school was like and what the social climate was like, that something like the sexual incidents that were in the papers could sort of arise. Now, what research did you do? Well, we met with 28 students from the class of 2005 at Milton. Over the course of two years, we interviewed them. We built a rapport with them, and we were able to access their IM conversations, their emails, their diary entries, and we also did investigations into the court case that the five boys who were involved in the scandal, ultimately, because the boys were all above the age of 16 and the girl was 15, it was a situation of statutory rape. So the boys were actually brought to court and charged with statutory rape. So we also investigated that. So 28 kids out of a class of roughly how many? 180. And we also interviewed students who had graduated in the class of 2004, as well as some of our classmates in the late 90s to have a better understanding of what exactly had changed. So after doing this for two years, talking to teens about love and sex and school, what was the most surprising thing that you learned? That so much had changed, probably. We didn't think of it. We began this book when we were six and seven years out of high school, and we didn't think that things had been that different. Sure, sex existed when we were there. We didn't go to high school in the Ice Age, but it wasn't so casual, and it wasn't to such an extreme level. The incidents may have been at one edge of the spectrum in terms of the number five boys, one girl, and sort of a girl servicing boys, multiple boys. But we found evidence of behavior along the spectrum and where multiple, if it was multiple partners, if it was girls kissing girls to titillate guys, if it was guys 
taking cues from pornography, really, and dreaming up these these very graphic sort of fantasies and actually getting girls to come through and, and do them. Any idea why it's changed so dramatically since you were in school? Well, Abigail and I think that one reason is certainly the culture around us. In the past, less than 10 years later, we have sex everywhere, whereas you could say it started with Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, but it really has been burgeoning on TV and entertainment. We allow celebrities like Paris Hilton, or there are celebrities like Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, who benefit from the unexpected release of their home pornographic videos. We have shows like The Gossip Girl this, that's new this year. It's a favorite show amongst preteen girls, and it's basically Sex in the City for high schoolers. So all this sort of sexual culture, it's all around us, and yet one of the more surprising things we found was that very few parents had talked with their teens, or even their, their preteens, about the emotional components of sexual behavior. It's not just about learning how to use a condom or about birth control. It's about how are you going to feel the next morning and what sort of motivates you to do the actual, to go through if a guy asks you to do something that you really don't want to do. Well, I have to tell you that as a parent, especially of two teenage boys, reading your book made me sick. I mean, it was really very disturbing. But I was curious, not living in the Northeast and, and not having kids that go to you know, prestigious boarding school. Do you think that what you found out about the the teens at Milton can be generalized to the rest of the kids in this country who aren't in this sort of privileged situation? Absolutely. This is certainly not just a Milton story or a prep school story. At least in the New England area, there were similar incidences all over in public and private schools. Of course, nationally, there was probably the most publicized case of Gennaro Wilson in Atlanta, Uh, for receiving oral sex and actually becoming imprisoned. So there are different state laws. But this is something that's going on around the nation, and it's something that we've heard where there's an outbreak of oral gonorrhea in California, and certainly the CDC, over half of teenagers in 2005 were engaged in sexual intercourse, and 14% had four sexual partners or more. So this is certainly a national phenomenon. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Marissa Miley, co-author of Restless Virgins, Love, Sex, and Survival in a New England Prep School. Now, Marissa, based on what the students told you, I mean, it seems like these teens are regularly engaging in what most of us, I think, would be considered pretty outrageous sexual behavior, group sex, unprotected sex, all sorts of things. I still have a hard time understanding why it's gotten so outrageous so you know, seemingly quickly. Well, certainly they're coming of age in a different environment and one where sex is all around them and where... They are very comfortable. Abigail and I have been calling this generation, generation exhibitionist. This generation is very comfortable sharing parts of their intimate and private lives in the public realm, whether it's on a site like Facebook or MySpace or YouTube. It's something that's acceptable and, in fact, popular. And with the combination of widely accessible pornography and seemingly we have no modesty, I guess, that it just doesn't seem, when teenagers are coming through adolescence and they're still suffering from the same pressures of wanting to be well-liked and wanting to fit in and wanting to become independent from their parents, they have this, this void and wanting to fill it. And so they dream up stories. The guys are dreaming up stories and the girls 
are suffering, even though they're the best and brightest at a school like Milton, they are still wanting to be well-liked, and they are compromising parts of themselves to be with the guys. And, you know, again, for me, one of the most discouraging threads was how these bright and talented young women seem to view their entire self-worth based on either their weight or how they look, which I don't know that that's necessarily due, or, or but what boyfriend they may have or may not have, really, you know, very superficial sorts of things. And I certainly don't remember that emphasis, at least in the 70s when I was a teenager. Do you agree with that? Well, yeah, and, and also we, we've heard the question of, well, what's so different about the outrageous sex now that it's so different than the 70s and free love? And, of course, to that, it's a, it was a cultural, a cultural revolution, whereas today sex is very, we're very indifferent about sex, or at least this generation is. And we found that particularly the girls had three different motivations for wanting to hook up with the guy. One was for validation, that they thought if they garnered the attention of a guy that they would feel that they had succeeded. These were very accomplished women who were accustomed to succeeding in all arenas of their life, and the social one was just one more. The second reason was for social status. We're all familiar with the the cliche teen movie where the popular boy has a crush on the nerdy girl and voila, she becomes a, a beautiful, you know, popular girl. So girls were hoping that they would elevate their social status. And the third reason is perhaps more complex because the girls that we interviewed felt that they had this, they wanted to have control over their sexuality. They wanted to hook up with guys the way that guys and have sex the way guys have stereotypically done. And they wanted to they saw Samantha Jones on Sex in the City, who was in complete control of her sexuality. And they thought, well, I want to be able to have sex devoid of intimacy, devoid of commitment like guys do. And so I want to be like Samantha Jones. Of course, the problem is that they are teenage girls. Samantha Jones is 40 years old, and it's still a boy's world out there. The girls are compromising parts of themselves for the guys. Yeah, I think that that was really one of the most striking things as well to me is that it really seems sort of anti-feminist behavior on these girls, that it was completely a culture dominated by the boys. And I had thought maybe that changed. Well, it's, it's certainly complicated because it's a false sense of empowerment, at least with the girls that we interviewed. We interviewed one girl who thought that she could cheat on her boyfriend, and he didn't have to know, and she could have sex. But at the end of the day, she really was yearning for connection and intimacy and confusing all of her sexual conquests with intimacy. I mean, the, the good news, however, to me, was by the end, and you gave somewhat of an update of what these kids are up to now, it seems like most of them have settled down and, and have, you know, a little bit more what we might call a normal sort of existence. Is that really what happened? We interviewed the students over the course of two years, and through talking about their experiences, one of the reasons we, we chose the class of 2005 who had graduated from Milton was because they had four years of these rich high school moments, and yet they had perspective from high school so that they were willing to talk more frankly and honestly about some very private moments. And over the course of our interviews, they became to look at themselves and their experiences as really formative and wanting not to make the same mistakes in the future. So we had one girl who had been hooking up with this guy who didn't like her or call her enough, but after the two years, as she's approaching her second year in college, she decides, I'm over that. I want to move on. And that was one of the most rewarding parts, actually, of, of interviewing the students for the book. Have you had any backlash from the administration at Milton? We haven't heard directly from the administration. 
You know, when we went out, we set out to write this book, Restless Virgins, we anticipated that it would be controversial. We were going to be investigating something that was highly publicized, but it's a private institution, a very well-respected one. And, and we absolutely adored the school, so we didn't have it out to expose them. But we felt that the oral sex scandal brought up so many important themes about teenage sexuality that we wanted to address, and we felt it was too important walk away from. Well, thanks for sharing it with our listeners today. Thank you. We've been discussing teen behaviors that Marissa Miley uncovered while researching her book, Restless Virgins, Love, Sex, and Survival in a New England Prep School. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.